Hello and welcome to Double Stint at Le Mans, a special edition of Double Stint brought to you by Sports Car 365, bringing you daily coverage of all the action at the Circuit de la Sarthe leading up to Sports Car Racing's greatest event, the 24 Hours of Le Mans. I'm joined today by Sports Car 365 reporter Davey Ovama, who is on the ground at Le Mans. Davey, how have things been since you've gotten settled in at the track? Um, yeah, very good. Uh, today seems a bit, feels a bit calm before the stormy. You know, with uh, today some some fan centric activity, which we'll get to in a little bit. But it seems like they're all sort of waiting for tomorrow when when you know track action for the twenty four hours of a while starts proper with the practice. So yeah, it, it's great to be here. That's one thing that's for sure. This week is all about Le Mans, but you can still find recaps and news about everything happening in the sports car racing world over on sportscar365.com. In today's episode, we'll bring you more of the storylines we're looking at at the Circuit de la Sarthe, answer some listener questions, and give you a preview of what's coming up this week at Le Mans. And David, you talked about some of those fan activities. There was an autograph session and a chance for the fans to walk down pit lane, a new pit stop challenge this year, uh, official team photos, as you said, Kind of a calm before the storm. Nothing really serious on track, but a nice build-up activity for everyone in attendance. Yeah, it has to be said, and um, specifically autograph sessions and pit walks, something that uh, <laughs> took a bit of getting used to, uh, looking out the media centre window, seeing a, a pit lane completely full of people with all these little tables set, set out with the drivers behind them, signing away. Um, yeah, that's something we haven't seen in, in quite some time. If you missed the test session on Monday, we'll give you a super brief recap. You can check it out in our episode that came out yesterday. The number seven Toyota led both sessions. Uh, the top five in LMP2 were all close. United Autosports led the way. Corvette led in GTE Pro. Kessel Racing's Ferrari led in GTE Am. And a reminder, you can find full recaps and updates of everything happening in the sports car racing world on sportscar365.com. Let's lead off the show, though, by talking about Lamborghini and Ligier. They have officially confirmed their partnership uh, for their 2024 debut in both the World Endurance Championship and IMSA. Only fitting, really, that uh, Ligier, who is primarily based in Magny Cours, uh, then decided to announce this here at Le Mans. Yeah, um, and yeah, it, it, it was always sort of coming in there after the original announcement a couple of weeks ago from Lamborghini. When you then do LMDH, there's always sort of the question of, well, who are you doing it with? Who's the, the chassis manufacturer of choice? Um, and it's interesting now that, uh, as far as I know, um, this is now all bases covered for the four uh, chassis manufacturers, um, with Multimatic, uh, of course, working with Porsche, the Lara working with BMW and Cadillac, Orica, Alpine, and Acura, and now Ligier has Lamborghini. So everybody has somebody to work with. Exactly. And and doing the math, it kind of seemed like it was going to work out that way. I don't want to quite classify it as, you know, one of those worst kept secret things, but people expected the Lamborghini entry and uh, kind of put two and two together that the, the two would likely be working together. Uh, it also kind of makes sense given that Ligier is, is partially based as well in North Carolina. They have a large presence there. Uh, they have had a prolific standing in, in sports car racing and specifically in, in prototype uh, racing. They make some formula cars as well. Lamborghini, who has kind of been out of the game on the prototype front for a while, this partnership does seem to make a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, Ligier, as you said, large presence, specifically currently more in, in the on the LMP3 side of things. I mean, take a look at uh, a European Le Mans race, for example, and you'll see lots of them. Uh, not necessarily as much in LMP2 in recent years. Uh, there's only one Ligier LMP2 on the grid 
at, uh, at Laval this year versus, I believe, 26 Orcas. So, uh, yeah, they are still present. So, uh, yeah, good to see them finally enter the LMDH arena properly. DKR Engineering is targeting a larger LMP2 presence moving forward. They have been a massively successful LMP3 team as of late. This is their first time running in Le Mans with the 07 Orica chassis. Uh, they first competed at Le Mans back in 2013 with a Lola B1140, but it uh, didn't work out quite so well. 14th in class, 40th overall. Similar situation, actually, to the hardpoint absolute situation we covered yesterday after a competitor dropped out. They got moved up. They've already tested the LMP2 car at Monza and Aragon. They're renting it from Graf and have said likely they'll purchase it if all goes well at Le Mans. Yep, indeed. So it's very cool to see this team, which is like you said yourself, so massively successful in LMP3. So it's good to see them uh, make the jump up. It should be said that the the, the uh, invitation was sort of always there because they had success in the European Le Mans series in LMP3. That's how they got their, their Le Mans slot. Um, like I said, rented the car from Graf looking to buy it and then sort of expand further. Uh, one interesting note is that uh, the um, team manager envisions that the car, uh, that they will keep their LMP3 program, but they will not run cars from different formulas in the same series. So to name an example there, um, let's go into Europol competition, for example, in, in the European Le Mans series, run LMP2 cars and LMP3 cars side by side. I think Cool Racing does it as well. Uh, but uh, apparently that is not something that's going to be happening for DKR. Uh, so, yeah, we'll just have to see how that pans out. I think they're looking at IMSA as well. So, yeah, lots of stuff going on there in a team from, uh, I think it's Luxembourg where they're based. Not many teams come from there. Well, at least they have the corner of the market in that part of the world. And as you mentioned, that they do want to run some LMP3 alongside their LMP2 uh, how much infrastructure does this take for an organization, even one that's that's already pretty established in LMP3? Well, I imagine it would be a lot, especially if you have to do s- several championships. I mean, it's not easy running one car, let alone multiple cars. Another storyline we're looking at this week, it's the last big learning opportunity for Penske before full-fledged focused on their Porsche partnership in LMDH. Uh, as we've reported previously, Penske will withdraw from the World Endurance Championship uh, after competing in LMP2 up to this point in the season. They've done a nice job of progressing, though. Eighth in Sebring, fourth at Spa. Uh, they said they're targeting a win, but things tend to be headed in the right direction. You never want to call anything in LMP2 before the race at Le Mans because we know anything can happen. But, you know, what are your thoughts on on Penske leading up here? Uh, well, it's, it's interesting how they said themselves that... Um, and this was uh, our Daniel Lloyd speaking to both uh, Jonathan Duguid and who's the uh, the general manager for that program, as well as Dane Cameron, they've said both, well, uh, it's it's good that we did these two races. It's good that we were at Sebring and at Spark because it allowed us to learn so much. Uh, and we've really taken steps forward uh, on, on pace, on race execution, but also learning, uh, you know, a little bit, the, the little sort of tiny details as well as, you know, the tires they're running on. Um, and, and they said, well, if we would just go, skip those two and go to Le Mans, we would have a, a much, much harder time of, of things. Because, you know, as much as, you know, it's Penske, but it's it, it's hard for every any team to just come in and go and do this. It's it's really not that easy. And it's an interesting situation they're in, because obviously juggling an IMSA program and a World Endurance Championship program 
takes a lot at once, a lot of focus, even for an organization like Penske. But is it maybe a little ambitious to come in and just do three rounds and and tap out and say, okay, we've learned everything we need to? Well, I'm not sure if it's learned everything you need to. I mean, you're always learning in racing, I I, I would say. But um, it's it's more... I think it was more getting that experience, getting the boots on the ground at IMSA. I believe it was, uh, I think it was Jürgen in, in another uh, quite said, well, we had, oh no, sorry, it was Cameron, excuse me, who said, well, we had some some guys to have a, a cheek, quote, cheeky look here last year, but there's no substitute for uh, participating, which is exactly, you know, you can't, you can sort of sniff around, but ultimately it's it's actually doing it is is what, you know, matters. And we shall see what Penske can turn up in the test session. They were 13th in class, 18th overall, just 2.1 seconds off the leading United Autosports USA car in LMP2. Uh, And that transitions actually nicely into one of our listener questions. On Twitter, at GrimeGuy asked, is it possible for a car to compete both in IMSA and the World Endurance Championship at the same time? That would be a lot of running around, and and, uh, Daniel Lloyd gave a nice answer uh, that you can check out in the Twitter thread as well, but we'll kind of quickly recap it here. It's really not super possible for an individual car unless, uh, as Dan said, it's an IMSA LMDH car that comes over really just to do Le Mans. Yeah, because if we're just specifically talking about a single car here, which is what I believe this question was sort of focused on, it's very difficult, and this is just logistically. Let's say for because if you're running two different championships, let's look at last weekend, for example, where we had uh, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship in Detroit, which was a DPI round, presumably as DPI then transitions into what will be GTP next year. Those cars will still be there, but then on the same weekend you have the Le Mans Test Day, so a car can only be in one place at one time. Um, and that's one example. And there are, there have been a few other IMSA clashes here and there, but there are also races that are relatively shortly spaced in, in terms of the calendar. And, well, you know, you take getting a car across the Atlantic takes time as well. So for one car, an individual car, it's very, very difficult just from a logistics standpoint. Um, you know, Porsche Penske will, of course, be doing LMDH in both championships, but they will have separate team bases on separate continents just to be able to do that absolutely and although penske porsche will kind of be cross-pollinating as they've said some of their staff they will be separate programs and even though staff members are moving across the cars uh, and the programs themselves certainly will not our other question comes in the comment section of our previous episode from gregory tolson asking why has bmw decided to release their new lmdh car this week at le mans if they've not committed to a World Endurance Championship program? And this is a good question because we know there's been speculation, but nothing confirmed. They have confirmed, of course, that they're running an IMSA. But does this maybe point to some WEC signs? Well, I think there's a much more simple explanation for this, Jonathan, and that is, quite simply, it's Le Mans. (laughs) Every, Every set of eyeballs in the sports car racing world is on this little French city this week. Everyone is looking at Le Mans. So if you want to make a big announcement, you do it here because, you know, this is the biggest game in town. Everybody's looking at this. So if you want to get the attention of the world, you make your announcement at at Le Mans. And fair enough. And you got to think that the the plan worked. I mean, the car looks fantastic. uh, And if you've taken a look at it in social media at all, it's really kind of blown up. Uh, So... I would say BMW's plan for for the publicity for the car and the hype and the buildup certainly did pay off. Yeah, I'd agree. 
Taking a look at what's coming up on the track this week, our first official practice session will take place at 2 p.m. local time on Wednesday, followed by the one-hour qualifying session that begins at 7 p.m., and then FP2 will begin at 10 p.m. local time. And this is going to be interesting. We know that Alpine has reported they're nervous about their lack of straight-line speed, even with a slight BOP adjustment. Last year, they managed third in quali uh, with LaPierre behind the wheel, 325.5. But remember, the pull time was a 323.9 uh, from Kobayashi in the number seven. So how does that play in? If you know, We know Le Mans is a lot of straightaway, uh, and Alpine certainly has looked off the pace this week so far. Yeah, that, that might appear to be the case. But the thing is, the BOP class is always so... There's always something going on, uh, and it's always very difficult to, to say, you know, are they really showing the full hand or is there something else going on? Um, and cars will, I think, are generally slower than last year, I believe. You know, they've had a few power cuts here and there, which is reflected in the lap time. So uh, it's difficult to, to, to always say, is this what it is or is there something else? going on and that won't i think become clear until later in in the week or maybe even later than that one thing that certainly looks clear is toyota's pace out front as we said the number seven led both test sessions they look very confident but glickenhaus though this season has shown single lap pace especially at spa where they took their first pole position and spa tends to be a decent benchmark for Le Mans, another low downforce, longer lap. Obviously, nothing as long or as low downforce as Le Mans, but certainly Glickenhaus could be a threat in qualifying. Generally speaking, if you're quick at Spa, you're quick at Le Mans, because like I said, the track specifications or characteristics are kind of similar. Um, I have the feeling that at Glickenhaus, they know this themselves as well. I spoke to Roman Dumas over the uh, scrutineering uh, days, and he said to sort of indicate, well, yeah, you know, we are strong now and and we can sort of we could maybe get a result here so i i have a feeling in their camp that they know that this might be a strong opportunity as well especially considering you know next year it's going to be a lot more difficult to win this race with uh, all of the big guns coming in all right davy i know predictions are always a tricky thing at le mans but i'm going to ask anyway thoughts and predictions heading into qualifying Oh, that's a tricky one. I mean, personally, I'm always a big, big fan of Kamui Kobayashi in situations like these. I mean, if there's one guy in, in, in the Toyota stable who you want to deliver over a single lap, it, it's Kamui. I think he's, yeah, there's been two hyperpole sessions so far. He's, he's, he's in, in parentheses, won both of them. So I, I think I'm going to have to go with Kamui on this one. And, you know, I'm inclined to agree, especially after Toyota took the timeout, did the test session leading up to Le Mans. Uh, they seem to have worked out any of the hybrid gremlins. They've looked massively quick uh, in previous rounds. They've traditionally been quick at Le Mans and with Kamui behind the wheel, uh, you know, any, anything is possible. Glickenhaus does look quick, but I don't know if they, they as you said, can match the single lap pace uh, of Kamui Kobayashi. We'll see. That's always that's that's always the the, the, two, the the key two word phrase. We will see. Absolutely. Again, practice taking place two p.m. local time uh, before qualifying at seven p.m. local time. FP two later that evening at ten p.m. for our first night running of uh, the week. 
Some other quick headlines we're looking at. Uh, this is the first Le Mans to use 100% renewable fuel in all cars. The Excellium Racing 100 developed by Total Energy is no oil in it. Uh, that'll be an exciting one to watch. Josh Pearson will make his debut as the youngest ever Le Mans debutant, 16 years and 118 days old. He'll be driving alongside Alex Lynn and Oliver Jarvis in the number 23 United Autosports LMP2 car. That's it for us on today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're tuning in from. For Davey Ovama, I'm Jonathan Grace. We'll see you right back here tomorrow to bring you more action and updates from the Circuit de la Sarthe on another special edition of Double Stint at Le Mans.